and again, it's it's really good to see everybody. Um, we're back in um, our Coastal Transition uh, weekly Bible study, uh, and we're studying the life of Christ, right? Christ Christos, the Anointed One, the One appointed by the Father to come and save us. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? The name Jesus uh, means what? Who remembers what the name Jesus means? The Hebrew word Joshua or the Hebrew name Joshua. What does that name mean, Jesus? Am I remember? What is the anointed one? Savior. Savior. Jesus means Savior. Joshua means Savior. And uh, Christos or Christ means he is the anointed one, the one appointed by the Father to come. And Lord, what does it mean to call him Lord? We've said in our vernacular it means he's the boss of me, right? He's the one that tells me what to do. And so often, he's the one that makes the rules, and he's the one that enforces the rules, and he's the one that judges us when we don't follow the rules, right? And one of the things that we tend to forget in the modern world that we live in is that Lord part. We we forget uh, that he is king, and that we are to bow before him and yield to his sovereignty and uh, trust him that he is good and that he is wise and that the things that he says are right. And we live in a world where most people think of God as some kind of like uh, sweet old grandfather up in the sky with gray hair that just wants to come up and give you a cosmic hug and make everything okay, right? But that's not in reality who he is. I want to say something that's come to my attention that I should have said a long time ago. Us that are in the program and in recovery and in the residentials and the different things, if you think about it, we have faced consequences and been in trouble to get to that position. But God put us there. So if you think about it, he's paying attention to us. You, you look around and you see folks that never seem to get in trouble for the bad things they're doing or the drugs that they're using or the hurt that they put on other people. They're, and they never seem to get in trouble for it. But we did. That's because we belong to him. And that's why we are where we are. So it's really a blessing. Very good. And today, in our lesson, we're studying the life of Christ. Um, We're using what is known as a harmony of the Gospels. The Gospels being what books of the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word Gospel means good news. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the life, the physical, uh, earthly ministry of Jesus. Remember, Jesus came to the earth. How? Through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit placed him in the womb of Mary. He was born. He was born as a man. He was physical. He bled. He died. He got hungry. He wept for his uh, deceased loved ones. He was a man, 100% man. He's also 100% God. And so he came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to uh, save his people. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. My sheep know my voice, they come when I call. And so Jesus lived out this earthly ministry to do what he came to do. One of those things was to live the life that you and I were not capable of living. All of us in this room were born under sin. We were born under the curse of Adam and we have all sinned and fallen short of God's expectation or God's glory, God's perfect standard. All of us have done that. And the only one that has never done that is Jesus. And so not only did Jesus die and take a death we deserve, but he lived a life so that he could share that life with us, a life that we could never earn on our own. So he died for us. He lived for us. And so as you read the accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are reading the accounts of four of his apostles, Remember what we said the word apostle meant? If you sent something to the post office, you're mailing it off, right? You're sending it out, right? So an apostle is a sent one, right? A sent one, one that God sent out. And these uh, 12 apostles that he had, uh, he sent them out, and they did exactly what he commanded them to do. What were they to do? They would go out into all of the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room today and you're a believer... You can account some of the fact that you are a believer to the apostles doing what they were commanded to do. They went out and they spread the message of the gospel to all of the world. And so uh, the the, uh, apostles' accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us four different perspectives of the same story. 
Matthew, uh, well, it's actually uh, Matthew and Peter and Luke and John. Well, John Mark is, is the one that wrote the book of Mark, but we're pretty sure that it was Peter's account that he was writing. He was an, uh, uh, basically a secretary for Peter. And so Peter gave him the words to write down, and Mark wrote down what he wrote. And so uh, Matthew and Peter and uh, uh, Luke and John, all are four different men with four different uh, perspectives on life and four different ways of living. Luke was a doctor, and, uh, and, and Matthew was a tax collector, and James and Peter and John were fishermen, right? And so all of these guys... Uh, lived all uh, three years with Jesus and lived with him and were taught by him and saw him do all of these miracles and then the Holy Spirit inspired them to write what they wrote so that 2,000 years later me and you could pick up a Bible and read and hear about God and receive that truth and believe that truth and walk in that truth ourselves the way that God saves people is number one he died on the cross to pay for their sins Number two, he sent his Holy Spirit to this earth to convict us of our sins, to convince us that Jesus is the Savior, and to confirm that in our hearts and to save us. That, so Jesus came and died. They buried him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Uh, uh, he ascended into heaven. And before he left, he promised his disciples, and we're going to see that today. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my comforter to you, and he will he will teach you of all things concerning me. And so but the way that we are saved today is, number one, Jesus had to have died for us on the cross. Our sins had to be atoned or paid for. Then the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to be with us to confirm to us what Jesus has done for us. And the way that the Spirit confirms to us what Jesus has done for us is through the what? Through the scriptures. So the way that any man or woman is saved is through hearing the word of God and the spirit of God convicting them that that is truth. Okay? So as we've been studying in our class here for the last year and a half or so, studying the life of Christ, we have been learning a lot about who Jesus is and what he has done. And what's going to happen as you study this, you are going to react one of two ways to what you hear. What are the two ways you can react? You're going to believe or not believe. You're going to believe it or you're going to not believe it. If you believe it, it is because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And he is opening your eyes and your ears and your mind to that truth. And the more you believe it, the more he convinces you that it's true. The Spirit continues to conform you to the image of His of the Son of Jesus. Which is comforting. It is very comforting. To those who do not believe it, the Spirit is at work in them as well. Did you know that? The Spirit is at work in the unbelievers. What does the Spirit do to unbelievers? Change their heart. Confused. I'm sorry? Confused. Well, could be confused or blind them. The Spirit of God in the unbeliever actually hardens their heart. And they believe less and less. So the one who receives God and believes him is because the Spirit's at work in them. And what do they do? They get saved. They get a new heart. They get filled with the Spirit. And they become the rest of their life is a, 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 an adventure in being conformed to the image of Christ. To those who don't believe, the Holy Spirit hardens their heart. And they become more and more convinced that the things of God are a lie. And they become hardened. They become what... Uh, the, the Bible teaches us in Romans, Paul tells us that men willfully suppress the truth. And then what does God do? He turns them over to their own deception, to their own lies, to their own confusion, if you will. All right. And so that's what happens. And so as we've been reading the story, we've seen where Jesus has come in and Jesus is preaching about the gospel, the good news. And he's preaching about the kingdom of God. Now, I've said that word a thousand times in this class. What do we say that a kingdom is? What is the kingdom? A domain. The king's domain. And so in this world that we live in right now, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of this world is slowly but surely fading before our very eyes. It's collapsing and, and perishing right in front of our faces. 
but the kingdom of God is being established. Those who are non-believers are part of the kingdom of this world. This world is temporary. It's temporal. It's vanishing. It's going away. Those who are believers are part of the kingdom of God. And what happens to the believers? They begin to recognize the kingdom being established around them in all kind of places and all kind of forms. See, and so Jesus has come preaching the kingdom. And what we've seen over the last few weeks, and you will actually see as you read through all of the gospels is that as Jesus proclaims the kingdom, as his apostles proclaim the kingdom, as preachers go out and proclaim the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is work at work in their work. You see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is using the proclamation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is using the proclamation of the promises of God, his word, and convincing and saving folks and hardening and rejecting folks. The Holy Spirit is doing that around us all the time. And in our story, as we've seen, Jesus is preaching the gospel, and we've seen two groups of people. We've seen one group of people that were the Christ rejectors, and we've seen one group of people who have received and believed in Christ. And one of the ironies, one of the greatest ironies that we see in that is what we saw last week. Who is the main group that is rejecting the Messiah? Who is the main group that is rejecting Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The Jews. Yeah, the the Jews. He came to his own people. His own people did not receive. But not only just the Jews, because a lot of Jews are believing in him. The apostles are Jews, and some of these sinners that are being saved by him are Jews as well, right? He, you know Nicodemus. Huh? Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, that's ruler, like, of, the ruler of the Jews. Now. Nicodemus is an exception to the rule, however, because the people, the main people that we see rejecting him is the religious crowd. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. These were the people that filled the temple. These were the people that were the most, they didn't smoke, they didn't drink, they didn't cheat on their wives, and they didn't hang around with people that do. They were in their own eyes very good people. And when Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, right, they rejected that kingdom. Why did they reject that kingdom? Does anybody remember? One, it was simply unbelief. They did not believe. They willfully suppressed that truth and did not want to believe that he was the king of kings and lord of lords. One of the main reasons they did not want to believe that he was the king of kings and lord of lords is because they had an idea in their head of what a king looks like. They had an idea of what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And when Jesus came proclaiming that kingdom, they rejected it because it was not of their liking. They thought that Jesus was going to come in. They thought that Jesus was going to um, kick Caesar out of uh, power and set them up as rulers and make their lives very nice and easy. And they were going to live life ruling over all the Gentiles. And yet Jesus, instead of coming as a perceived, I want to say it that way, a perceived conqueror, he came meek and lowly and mild and weak and humble. And he turned his cheek when people struck him. He didn't fight back. You see? He came healing. He came doing all of those things that his father sent him to do. And because he was doing the things that his father sent him to do, his father God sent him to do, those who rejected him were actually, in essence, rejecting who? God. They were rejecting the plan of God. The plan of God was for Jesus to come and die, and through that death, conquer death. Conquer the ultimate enemy. Those people were thinking about their temporary lives here on the earth, and having a nice house, and having a... You know, a four uh, a four horse stable, right? We have a four horse four car garage. They had a four horse stable. They wanted a nice house and and a good life. And Jesus was not coming promising any of those things. He was coming promising them hope and love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness. He was offering them the things of God. And the people who rejected him were rejecting him because they were actually rejecting God. They were rejecting God in unbelief. And so today we're going to look at that a little bit closer. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me 
um, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 37. And then we're going to turn over to the book of Mark and look at Mark chapter 3 verses 20 through 30. So we're going to do it. 22 through 30. Yep. So if... um. Do I have anybody in here that would, would be willing to help with the reading today? Does anybody want to help us? You, you'd like to read? You'd like to read? All right. Anybody else? I'll read. Okay. Lori's going to read. All right. So, Lori, why don't you take that first passage for us there? Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 29. Go ahead and read that for us. How many do you want me to read? 22 through 29. Oh. It's, it's titled, Blasphemy Against the Holy Spirit. Okay. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. He healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But then the Pharisees heard it and they said, It is only by Beelzebub, that the, uh, there is only by Beelzebub the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom your sons cast them out, therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a man's house and plunder his goods unless first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Okay, thank you. So just quickly a couple of observations about that, and then we're going to go continue with our reading. I want to make sure we get all the scripture reading done first today. But just a couple couple quick observations. This man was demon-possessed. He was blind and mute. Couldn't speak. What does Jesus do? He heals him. What happens to the demon-possessed man? He can now see, and he can now speak. All right, Jesus heals him. The crowd is amazed, and they're saying, could this really be the son of David? Now, they know that the son of David is the the king who was coming to rule eternally, and he had to be a son of David, and Jesus is. He's from the tribe of Judah, and he's one of David's kids. All right, He's one of David's great-grandkids. And so this is actually the son of David, but to them, the title son of David was the conquering king that was going to come and save them. You see? So they're asking that question. Could this really be him? But what do the Pharisees say? This man cast out demons by Beelzebub. Now, word Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. If y'all ever read that novel when you were kids, Lord of the Flies. And so what are these Pharisees, these religious people doing? They're attributing to Jesus the power, but they're saying that power is not coming from God. It's coming from Satan, all right? So they're claiming that he is doing the work of Satan. And, of course, then Jesus uh, rebukes him and says, that that's crazy. If the devil ran around throwing himself out of everybody, then he would be destroying his own kingdom. Why would he want to do that? That makes all the sense in the world. Right? And, and, so what, and then what does he say? If you want to go in and plunder a man's house, you first have to bind the strong man, all right? What does that mean? That means if I'm laying in my bed at night, I got a nine millimeter in my Chester drawers, uh, on my cabinet next to my bed. If someone were to come into my house to plunder my house, I would kill them. If it was dark and I couldn't see, I would shoot them. Right? Why? Because they're coming in to harm me and, and to take my property. All right? Well, if somebody wants to come in and plunder my house, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to get in there before I wake up and make sure they get that gun and they're going to have to tie me up because I'm going to want to fight them, you see? Now, I'm not the strong man. But the reality is this. If you go into somebody's house to take their goods, you better be ready for a fight. Because they're not just going to give them to you, you see? And so who would the strong man be? The strong man would be the devil. And what would be his house? The world, this world around us. All right? And who are the people that Jesus is coming to plunder? He's coming to snatch his sheep out of this world. You see? And so what he's saying is, the devil's not just going to give him up. I've got to come in and do what? I've got to bind the strong man. I've got to tie his arms down where he can't keep me from plundering his house. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the devil is actually the enemy and that he is the conquering king that has come in to bind the strong man and destroy his kingdom. 
But what are the Pharisees, what is the religious crowd doing? They're attributing Jesus' power and the power of the Holy Spirit to the kingdom of the devil, of Satan. They're, they're willfully suppressing the reality that Jesus is coming and doing everything that their scriptures, the Old Testament promises that he was going to do. He's coming and doing it right before our eyes. He's curing leprosy and casting the devil out of people and, and causing paralyzed people to walk and the, and the blind to see and, and, and the mute to speak. He's coming in and, and proving that he has the power of the kingdom of God. And what are they doing? They said, oh, that's the devil doing it. Yep. Sure. Sure. All right. So that's just a quick couple things about that. Well, let's go ahead and look at. Um, you said you were going to read. Uh, okay. Are you? You said you were going to read. All right. Let's go to um, and look at verses thir- uh, thirty through thirty-seven. <coughs> Excuse me. Thirty to thirty-seven. Um, Matthew chapter twelve, verses thirty to thirty-seven. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 to 37. He, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against me, against the Son of Man, will be given forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruits will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruits will be bad. For a tree is recognized by the fruit. You blood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of good store up to him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil store up in him. But I tell you that man will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. All right. So what is Jesus saying? He said, if you're with me, who is me? God. And against me, uh, or whoever is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So you are either... If so wonderful to see how Jesus just makes everything just black and white. Like he, you're either with him or you're not. If you're with him, you gather. If you're not with him, you what? You scatter. Alright? He says, I tell you that any sin and blasphemy can be forgiven of people. Right? So, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. What does it mean to blaspheme? What does that word mean to blaspheme? Speak evil against? Yeah, to speak evil against or to curse. Alright? Now, have any of us in this room ever blasphemed God? Yeah, I'm sure we all have. I'm sure we all have. There's been times in your life where you screamed at God in His face and said, Why are you doing this to me? Mm-hmm. Right? Or doubted. Right? Doubted yeah, yep, just yep. recently. And, and so we, we all are capable of blasphemy or cursing. Right? How many of us, when we were just little kids, put our face in our pillow and screamed at our parents, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, right? <laughs> Why? Why did we do that? Right? Why did we do that? Right? They, yeah, because we weren't well. We weren't getting what we wanted. Right. They were keeping us from getting what we wanted. It was we, they were expressing their authority over our life, and we didn't like that authority over us. And our attitude toward our parents is going to be the same as our attitude towards God. If you can't treat your parents with respect, who you see you are certainly not going to treat God with respect who you can't see. Okay? And so <clears throat> he's saying that you can, all kind of blasphemies will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. 
Now, that's very important. Remember, so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is coming and proclaiming what? What is he proclaiming? The truth. The truth of who? His Father. All right? Now, we remember we said Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And you remember at his baptism, what happened at his baptism? Does anybody remember he's standing waist deep in the water at his baptism? The dove. All right. The dove ascends, and what happens? The Spirit of God envelops him. him, descends upon him. Why did the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus? Because Jesus is 100%. That's when his ministry started. Yeah, that's exactly right. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do what he was doing. Okay? So was it up until that point? Um, I mean, he... He knew that he was the son of God, or did he not know? Well, he, he did, but, but what his is the... mother knew. What the Bible tells us is it, it in that little... We don't know hardly anything about his life from the time he was circumcised in the temple until he was 30 years of age. But we don't know anything about those forming years of his life, but we do know this. The scripture said this. He continued to grow in wisdom and stature. So as he is living this life out, he is becoming more and more aware. Just like God can influence our life, I'm sure yeah. he was influencing yep. him yep. to learn a little And he was growing more and more in his awareness. And there were times in his life when the Holy Spirit was working powerfully in his life because it tells us that he was able to di- discern the thoughts of men before when men were thinking because something. he was young in the temple and, and he knew the scripture. Good, good. That was just flat playing wisdom but there were times in his life we just saw one of the passages last week remember when uh, the woman the prostitute was washing Jesus' feet and Simon the Pharisee was thinking to himself if this man really was the son of God he would know what kind of woman this is touching him and what does it say and Jesus knowing his thoughts now that's something you and I are not capable of you and and there are people that are very good at reading facial expressions and body attitudes and things like that that can almost know what you're thinking, but nobody truly knows what you're thinking except God. But there were times in Jesus' life where he was able to actually know what people were thinking. And so um, he uh, is there, and what is he doing? He's proclaiming the promises of God. Not only is he proclaiming them verbally, but he's walking them out. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as Jesus is walking along in human flesh, His physical life is literally saying, this is what my Father's promise looks like. So not only is He proclaiming the truth with His mouth, He's living it out with His life. All right? And again, what were the reactions to His proclamations? Some people received it, and some people rejected it. And what happens is, as he is preaching, and as he is living this out, the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives. Okay? Let's turn really quick. I want you to turn with me over to the... I'll read this part for you. Turn with me over to the book of John, just a couple pages over. And let me share something with you really quick. Um, we'll start in John chapter uh, 15. John chapter 15. I'm sorry, John chapter 14. And it says this, John chapter 14 and verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you and after a little while the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. Alright, so what is he promising? He's saying, I'm going to be with the Father. But I'm going to send my spirit to live within you. And he's going to teach you all things concerning me. And the world's not going to accept him. But he will be with you, and you'll know him, and you'll believe him, and trust him, and walk with him, you see? And so flip over to uh, uh, chapter 15, chapter 15, and let's look at verse 18, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world... 
Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That is something I want all of you guys to remember. When the apostles and Jesus came along preaching the gospel and preaching the truth, people hated them and wanted them dead. It is not often that people come along nowadays and preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. If they are preaching the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, what is going to be the majority's reaction to their preaching? They're going to get angry and spit on them and cuss them and tell them to get out of their face. That's the world's attitude towards the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, they hated me. How much do they hate him? Enough to nail him to a tree. You see? That's how much the world hates God. That what they did to Jesus on that cross shows the true intent and attitude of this world we live in. And yet we cuddle up and snuggle up next to this world thinking that we can be their friend and teach them to like us. And if we can teach them to like us, then maybe they'll hear about and Jesus. And we think we know how to navigate our way through it. It yep. all changes yep. so that we're... And so the, the world is changing right now as we yes. speak. It's continuing to devolve. And what you're seeing around you is you are seeing people that are calling evil good and good evil. Yeah. And the persecution upon the church is about to ramp itself up. Yeah. Um, it's going to get to the point where you are not going to be able to speak the things of God without persecution. Without being thrown in jail. We we have we actually have there are actually uh, uh, laws and acts in place right now that are set up to mute and muzzle the truth. The, we have a thing called a free speech act right now, and and in that free speech act is very ironic that it's telling us that our speech is not free. See, you can speak freely as long as you're not hurting someone else. And what they're going to say is, if you speak against someone who is a homosexual, or you speak speak against someone who is a transgender, or you speak or against someone, or, or, or yeah, you speak against someone who atheist. is a devil worshiper, you're and you hurt their feelings. Atheist. Yeah, atheist. Anybody. If you speak anything that hurts people, you go to jail. you'll go to jail. And what's going to happen? Well, I've been to jail for. Bad things that I did. Going to jail for Christ would be an honor. Well, yeah, we say that. We say that. <laughs> I know it's hard. I've yeah, been there. Yeah, we say that. So, what does he say? He's saying that the, the time is coming when the world is going to hate you and they're going to think that they're actually doing a service to God by hurting you, by beating you down and treating you with persecution. They're going to actually, in their mind, in their own deception, are going to actually think they're doing the work of God. But it's a God of their own defining, not the true God. And so that's very important for us to see. Um, it says in verse 21, All these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Now remember, what did they do to the body of Jesus? They nailed it to a cross. Who is the body of Jesus now? The believers here on earth. If they treated the master that way, what do you think they're going to do to his body? The same thing that they did to his physical body. The believers in the churches, right? I mean, the churches is right, right? So our... The church is the body of Christ. The church that we belong to is very important. The church is the body of Christ. But the church, the true, in, in your confession, or in your, um, in, you know, I'll say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker, in the Apostles' the Apostle Creed, Creed, it says the Holy Catholic Church. It's the universal. You know, and the universal church. What that means is all believers in all times. The people it's not Catholic church, but it's a small C, so yeah. it means universal. Right. Well, and and our, at our church, we use the word universal instead of Catholic church because we don't want to be identified in any way we're wrong. Right. So, <laughs> but the point is this. The point is this. That there are believers and have been throughout time, true believers who have been changed by the Holy Spirit that are saved, blood-bought, purchased by Christ on the cross, believers. And those believers throughout all time, whether it was Abel, what happened to Abel? Brother Cain killed him, right? What happened to the prophets? They killed him. What happened to Jesus and the disciples? They killed him. And so all of the true body of Christ throughout history, from time past and on into the future, are, this world is going to do what they can to silence them and shut them up. 
You see? Look what he says. He says, He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that was written in the law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. So what is the one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit being in the believer? The believer is going to talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to point us to Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And so when you see people running around saying, oh, I got the Holy Spirit and I'm running around healing folks, they're not pointing people to Christ. They're pointing to people to what they're doing. When they run around talking about because they spit out all these tongues and speak in tongues, that the Holy Spirit, oh, man, I'm really anointed with the Holy Spirit. Look at who? Me. That's not the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is upon a person... Their sole desire is to lift up Christ for all the world to see. Their sole desire is to speak the truth of God's word because they know and the Spirit is guiding them to the fact that it is only the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that changes people's lives. And what is going to be the reaction to the world around us when the Holy Spirit comes? They're going to hate him just like they hated Jesus. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are going to be the blunt of their, brunt of their attack. All right, so Jesus is born of that. Now look in, in 16, uh, uh, John chapter 16, verse 5. Watch what he says here. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Uh, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, he, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, now watch, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do to the world? Convict them of their sins and convict them of their unbelief. All right? And it says, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. All right. I have many more things to say to you, but cannot you cannot bear them now. But he, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So, what is the, what is the Holy Spirit to do when he comes? What does Jesus say he's going to do? He's going to convict the world of their sins. But he's also going to convince believers of who he is. And he's going to confirm in our hearts that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. So again, as the Spirit comes, what is the Spirit doing? He's coming in just like Jesus. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword to divide death from light, to divide hate from love, to divide light from darkness, to divide truth from lies. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a room, He divides it. He splits it up. The Good Shepherd is doing what? Separating the sheep from the goats. He's separating those true believers in the world around it. And so what is the Holy Spirit going to do to the world? Convict them of their sins. They're going to know without a doubt. Listen, guys, when Jesus was there preaching to those people, those guys that hated him, they knew what he was saying was true. They knew it. But they grinded their teeth and balled up their fists and hated him for it. Why? Because they were not of the truth. So they are not going to have an excuse on the final day. And neither will anyone else. So, what is it to blaspheme the Holy Spirit to reject the very forgiveness that God offers? To reject the very promise that Jesus has sent? See? So, Jesus died to save a people for himself. Right? He sends the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? It convicts the world of their sins and convinces those that he died to save that they belong to him. What is the world going to do with the Holy Spirit? Curse him to his face. Ball up their fists and grind their teeth and hate them with their dying breath. So what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? 
It's a rejection of the very gift of God. And what happens when we blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Our hearts become more hardened and more hardened and more hardened. We become what what did Jesus do with that demon possessed man? He was blind and mute. What did Jesus do to him? Mute. Gave him new eyes and gave him a voice to speak. That's what the Spirit does. He comes in and heals those who are his. What does the Spirit do to the world? It blinds them and shuts their mouth where they have no excuse. You see the difference? So what is it to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And I have people ask me that question a lot. I, you wouldn't be, be surprised at the number of people in a clinical situation say, we'd be talking and they say, well, well, I really do feel like maybe I've, I'm kind of worried that I've, I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Well, the reality is this. If you're worried, you haven't. If you're worried about it, that shows you that the Holy Spirit is still at work convicting you. And you can turn from that and ask Him for forgiveness. And what will He do every time? Right. He'll forgive. The one who truly blasphemed the Holy Spirit has a heart that is, is He has a seared conscience. No remorse. No feeling. No care. And you've met those people in your life. But again, there are people that have lived terrible, terrible lives who the Holy Spirit has come in and convicted and saved. So it's not up to me and you to run around judging who's blaspheming the Holy Spirit and who's not. Now, what can a believer do to the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say that you, the Holy Spirit lives in you and He is guiding you and conforming you to the image of His Son, but what does the Bible warn us as believers, what is it that we can do to the Holy Spirit? Anybody remember? Paul says it in his epistles. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That He lives in you and yet in your fallen, the fallen part of you, the fallen nature that you are, you give in to your physical nature. Instead of walking with Christ, you like walk in, walk in Adam. Like anticipation and anxiety? It could be, yep, those could be, those are, those are signs of unbelief or doubt. Right. Right? Or, um, giving in to lust. Right? That's something that'll grieve the Holy Spirit. Giving in to, uh, you, you see what I mean? Like, in other words, as a, as a new, creation as a child of God yeah well it's, it's more than our conscience because it's the Holy Spirit guiding your life and conforming you to the image even the fallen person has a conscience but as you walk in Christ as a child of God you have a choice don't you you can walk in Christ or you can walk in Adam that old man that you used to be and if you if the true believer begins to walk in their old ways it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit right what's it going to do it's going to make you feel sad and broken and ashamed. And the difference in you and a child of the world is, is that when you grieve the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of what you're doing wrong, you turn back to Him and find forgiveness and restore relationship. The child of the world is just simply going to keep on rejecting it and keep on walking away from it. So that kind of helps us a little bit to understand what it is. Now let's go um, really quick. We have just a few minutes left. Let's turn over to the book of Mark. A couple of you other guys said you wanted to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Donnie, Donnie, Donnie. Okay. All right. So um, turn with me over to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And let's look at verses 20 through 30. Mark chapter 3, um, verses 20 through 30. Okay, you got it? Then he went into a house, and again the crowd gathered, so that they were not able, so that they were not able even to eat a meal. But when his relatives heard about it, they went out to seize him, for they were for they were saying, he has gone out of his mind. Also, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem was saying he has Belzebub, and he expels the demons by means of the ruler of the demons. So after calling them to him, he spoke to them with illustration. How can Satan expel Satan? If a kingdom becomes divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
And if a house becomes divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Also, if Satan has risen up against himself and has become divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. In fact, no one who enters the house of a strong man is able to steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Only then can he plunder his house. Truly I say unto you that all things will be forgiven the sons of men, no matter what sins they commit and what, blasphemy, what blasphemies they speak. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit has no forgiveness forever, but is guilty of everlasting sin. He said this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Okay. So, <clears throat> thank you for reading that. Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, first of all, one of the funny things, I, I always get tickled at this. His family thought he had lost his, his mind. I just went straight back his, to what you're talking about. His own family, like literally was coming to get him because they heard that he was out there and the things he was preaching. And they were like, dude, he's lost well, his, his mind. Knew. Well, his mother did know. But again... Our expectations and God's plan is, it's rare that they cross. Like, a lot of times we well, think... Well, the angel spoke to Joseph. We're not resonating with all of the people. It's upsetting, though. It's, it's, I wish I could go back there and say, the angel spoke to you, Joseph. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You so it. his own family came to him, and yet they thought he had lost his mind. And I've always found that... To be disturbing. Not not just disturbing, but convicting. Because when we are truly preaching the gospel, when we are truly proclaiming the promises of God, it's going to sound like craziness to the world. You know what I mean? Like, and what have we done over the over the centuries? We've dumbed it down, and we we want to make it appealing to the world. What does Paul say? The the uh, the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. The things of God are foolishness to the natural man. Like they're not going to make sense to them. They're going to sound like they're crazy. So important for us to stay strong in our belief. Yep. And have you ever have you ever gone to have you have you ever gone and looked into the eyes of someone who is struggling with addiction and telling that, told them that you're the problem? Yeah, but it doesn't go over well. What? But is that that Who do you point? think you are? I have a disease. Right, right. That's easy to be the victim of a disease. But that's not the deal. But are, are you understand what I'm saying, I though? Do. You go and you tell them that, when and they sound like crazy. Point, Ronnie, and we accept that. It is, we're the problem. That's when we start to heal. That's when we start to get better. Well, it's when we start looking for the real answer. And Christ can... Right. Yes. And so, so you understand. That that's do. just a simple earthly illustration yes, of the gospel whole, proclamation. Years it's, not, a it's not about your health, and it's not about your finances and it's not about your cars and your relationships with your wife or your husband it's about your relationship with your creator and if that is right then the rest of it will fall into place but what we do is we spend our whole life trying to fix the creation when it's the creator who died to save us from this fallen creation that we should be looking to and when you proclaim that to a world around you who is wrapped up in idolatry and sin it's going to sound like you are a wackadoo they're not going to want to deal with it they're not going to want to deal with it. You see? And that's what Jesus was doing. And so then again, he came right back. And, and this is Mark's or account of the same account that Matthew had. And what is it saying? He told him, he, what, are the, what are the scribes and the Pharisees doing? They're saying the only reason that he has the power to cast out demons is because he's the prince of the, he's being empowered by the prince of the demons, Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. That Satan himself has given Jesus the power to heal people. So what are they doing? They are attributing the work to the works of God. They are saying that that's Satan at work, not God. They are their their eyes are completely reversed. When they th see things of God, they say it's of Satan. 
They're blaspheming this very Spirit of God. Jesus, the Word, the physical Word of God is standing there preaching the spiritual words of God and the Holy Spirit is convicting the people of what they're saying is true and what is the reaction of the fallen? What is the reaction of those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit? They reject and curse the Holy Spirit. They reject it and say it's of Satan. You see? Why is that the unpardonable sin? Well, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, right? He died on the cross, and how many of our sins did he pay for? All of them. All of them. Yeah. Now, that's hard to understand the unpardonable sin. Right, right. So, what what is the the unpardonable sin? It's a rejection of the very work of the Father, the the very promise of the uh, the work the the work of the Father being that He sent His Son, the work of His Son that His Son died on the cross to save us, and the work of the Holy Spirit that is convicting us that what the Father and the Son did is true. And so you're, re- you're you're rebelling and rejecting against that very truth. You're 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 literally shunning the well, hope of salvation. Once we're saved, that sin is forgiven. So how is it the unpardonable sin? I get asked about that a lot. I don't know how to answer that question. Because you are rejecting the very forgiveness. But not that, anymore. What do you mean? Like I don't reject. <laughs> A child of God is not capable of committing the unpardonable sin. Okay. I, I've, I've never, I, I guess I see your point. Even as a child, I didn't reject the possibility of God, but I didn't understand the way I did it. There's been times in your life when you were unregenerate that you cursed but God. I was angry, but I believed him. And, and you didn't believe, right? <laughs> but I didn't believe he was looking after me, but I knew he was there. But, if, you, if Christ truly died for you on the cross and paid for all of your sins, the Holy Spirit is going to convince you of that at some time. <clears throat> In other words, Jesus don't lose sheep. Everybody he died on the cross to save will be saved. He will not lose so, one. So, why is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the unpardonable sin? Because that person is proven that they don't belong to God. Okay. That person is proven that Christ did not die to save them. That person is proving that the Holy Spirit is hardening them and not saving them. Make sense? Yes, it does. And then we, get, we then we leave it in God's hands because God is the one that is doing that. When the Spirit comes down, the Holy Spirit being God, you're either going to reject Him or you're either going to receive Him. <coughs> and my prayer for every person here is that you do know Him as Lord and Savior and you need to share that truth with other people and you also need to remember what the reaction to other people is going to be to you sharing that truth. They're going to think you just as wacky do as Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> The wackadoo crew. That's who we yeah, can be. I know. We don't need to be the wackadoos. We, no, we need to be a sound mind. We need to be a sound mind. But I hope that y'all enjoyed this lesson. I hope that that helps to explain a little bit what awesome. the unpardonable sin is. And let's go ahead and close with a quick word of prayer, okay? It will help me explain things. Every time I, every time I listen to you, Ronnie. Well, thank you. Thank you. We'll give God the glory and the credit for that. Father, thank you for this time that you give us together today. Um, thank you for your love and your truth and just so how beautiful it is and how life-changing it is and how eternal and it is and and i pray i pray for all of us in this room i pray for anyone who hears this this lesson today um that you will give them repentance that you will grant them the gift of repentance and and your grace will save them that they will know what the hope that comes from your son jesus christ is all about Um, help us help us not to to grieve you and help us to glorify you and live a life that is is acceptable in your eyes and according to your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.